0: Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast, core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM Residency Program. This week on the show, I thought we'd delve a little bit into a very controversial subject in emergency medicine, cardioversion versus rate control in patients with recent onset atrial fibrillation. Let's start by defining the subject. When we refer to recent onset AF, we're talking about patients who present with atrial fibrillation that started in the last 48 hours. We'll come back to that number a bit later on about why that's important. For the purposes of this discussion, we're going to be focused on lone AF, meaning they're in atrial fibrillation, but not much else is going on. This is one of the first split points in management. If the person has chest pain, significant difficulty breathing, fever, or other concerning symptoms, we should focus on those symptoms instead of on the atrial fibrillation itself. But for the sake of the podcast, we're just talking about lone AF. The patient presents with a sensation of skip beats or palpitations. You put them on a monitor, and you see that they've got that classic irregularly irregular rhythm. There are basically two approaches to management at this point, rate control and rhythm control. In the rate control approach, we administer agents to slow the ventricular rate experienced by the patient, and the patient remains in atrial fibrillation, either goes home or stays in the hospital for more workup. In the rhythm control approach, it's pretty simple. We convert them back to normal sinus rhythm. And typically for rate control, we're either using calcium channel blockers or beta blockers. And we've discussed the role of each of these back on episode 64, so we're not going to get too much into the weeds on that topic. Suffice it to say, there's some ED literature that says that calcium channel blockers work a bit quicker, but you'll have to decide which agent is best for the patient in front of you. The rate control approach appears pretty simple give them a drug to lower the rate, and all is well. Of course, there's a couple of issues here. For starters, many patients don't feel that great when they're in AF. It's called normal sinus rhythm for a reason, right? Patients often complain of feeling fatigued and just not themselves. Additionally, over time, remaining in AF can cause cardiac remodeling, which can be detrimental. Finally, there's the risk of clot development. When the heart goes into atrial fibrillation, the atrium contracts irregularly, and there can be stasis, particularly within the left atrial appendage. This stasis can cause a clot to form, and if that clot breaks off, you've got embolic phenomena like strokes and ischemic limbs. As a result, if the patient remains in AF, you're likely going to have to start them on an anticoagulant to reduce that risk. What about rhythm control? Now, again, the goal is to restore normal sinus rhythm, which makes the patient feel better. It also means that the atria are contracting normally. There isn't the same issue of pooling of blood and resulting clots. Back in 2011, Ian Steele, whose name is synonymous with ED studies on AF, wrote a brilliant piece in Annals of Emergency Medicine in support of rhythm control. In that short piece, he stated, and I quote, Early cardioversion restores the patient to normal sinus rhythm, avoids admission, and allows for rapid discharge home. Patients may resume normal activities immediately, and most are not burdened with medications and INR monitoring. So if rhythm control is so great, why don't we simply zap everyone or put everyone who presents an AF back into sinus rhythm? The main reason is that the longer the AF goes on for, the more likely the patient has developed a clot. This brings us back to that magic 48-hour number. Under 48 hours, it's unlikely the patient has developed a significant clot, while over 48 hours, it becomes more likely. If that clot is present in the atrium when the patient converts, there's a risk that the conversion will cause the patient to throw an embolus and develop one of those embolic phenomena we mentioned earlier. If the patient presents within 48 hours of AF, we can consider cardioversion. Over 48 hours... We should probably avoid it unless the patient is either fully anticoagulated or we have a TEE confirming the absence of a left atrial clot. The issue that pro-rate controllers always bring up, though, is how do you know the patient's symptoms have only been going on for 48 hours or less? There's no clear-cut answer here, but I'm going to consider cardioversion if the patient has a clear time of onset. I want the patient to say, I was having dinner and all of a sudden I got palpitations. Now, if they come in saying, oh, well, I've been short of breath for the last couple of days, and then I find them to be an AF, I'm less likely to consider ED cardioversion. Back in August 2014, a letter was published in JAMA that questioned the teaching that less than 48 hours is safe. The data in that letter came from a Finnish registry, and it basically found that if the AF had been going on for longer than 12 hours, the patient was at a significant risk for an embolic event with cardioversion. This was, however, data extracted from a registry instead of prospectively collected, and a full publication never came out. That led a lot of us to question the veracity of the claims. Let's say that we have a 35-year-old woman who comes in after feeling palpitations starting six hours ago. Your triage EKG shows AFib, and she's got a rapid ventricular response around 120 beats per minute, but the rest of her vitals are fine. She's healthy, on no meds, and aside from the palpitations, she feels completely fine. She tells you, I've never had an irregular rhythm before. I've never felt anything like this before. If you decide to pursue rhythm control, how are you going to do it? We've got some guidance here from our friends in the Great White North once again, and it's Ian Steele and his group. Back in 2010, this group published the Ottawa Aggressive Protocol for Management of Recent Onset AF or A flutter. This study enrolled over 650 consecutive patients with recent onset AF or A flutter, and the patients were initially treated with chemical cardioversion with procainamide. Now, if that didn't work, the group moved on to electrical cardioversion. Procainamide had about a 58% conversion rate, and subsequent electrical cardioversion was 92% successful. Overall, about 93% of patients were discharged home in sinus rhythm, and at one week follow up, 91% were still in sinus rhythm. The adverse event rate here was about 7.5%, but most of these were minor, and not a single patient had a thromboembolic event. Procanamide was the drug of choice here instead of what we commonly use, which is amiodarone. And the reason, or the main reason, why they went with procanamide is because it works. It works, and it works in the short term. Amiodarone doesn't lead to short-term conversion in comparison to placebo. So in the first one to two hours, you're not going to see a lot of patients with amiodarone converting, and that's what we really want. We want them to convert quickly. This same group recently performed a study looking at 30-day outcomes in multiple hospitals in their system. They included over 1,000 patients, and they used the same approach as in the Ottawa Aggressive Protocol. Not all patients went down the cardioversion pathway, but overall 80% were discharged home in sinus rhythm, and only one patient had a stroke during follow-up. Interestingly, that patient wasn't cardioverted. They spontaneously reverted to normal sinus rhythm in the hospital, and then 20-plus days later, they had a stroke. If you decide to pursue rhythm control, the Ottawa Aggressive Protocol seems like a very reasonable approach. It's also not unreasonable to skip the chemical cardioversion and go right to electricity. In my experience with procainamide, it tends to work during the infusion. So if it's been 30 minutes since the infusion ended and the patient's still in AF, it's probably not gonna be successful and you should move forward with electricity. With procainamide, you do have to keep a close eye on QT prolongation or any blood pressure drops, which are gonna prompt you to stop the infusion. With cardioversion, there are a number of approaches. I tend to use Atomidate and Fentanyl for my procedural sedation. Atomidate 0.1 mg per kg is fast on, fast off without any need for titration. It gives you about five to six minutes of sedation, which is long enough to shock the person twice in case your first cardioversion doesn't work. I start at 200 joules biphasic instead of starting at lower doses, which you do see recommended at times. The reason I do this is because I've had a couple of patients with paroxysmal VT or intermittent AF who have had repeat cardioversions, and they all tell me that 200 joules doesn't hurt more than 100 or 150 joules. But being shocked at 100, then 150, then 200 hurts a lot more, so I just go big from the start. Lastly, you got to make sure to assess the patient for the need for anticoagulation. I use the CHADS-VASC score, which I think most people use. If their score is zero, I go with aspirin only. If their score is one, I may still do aspirin, but I'm going to consider full AC with warfarin or a NOAC. Anything over one, and it's definitely warfarin or that NOAC all of the patients need follow-up with their PCP or a cardiologist in the next two to three days. Well, that's a quick review of rhythm control in patients with recent onset atrial fibrillation. Let's hit some of the big take-home points. First, rhythm control should be considered in patients with a clear onset of symptoms within the last 24 hours or in patients who have full anticoagulation for another reason. Anyone outside that window is at an increased risk for forming a clot that could lead to a thromboembolic event when you cardiovert. Number two, multiple studies have demonstrated safety in cardioverting recent onset AF. This is a reasonable approach. Number three, cardioversion can either be pursued with procainamide or electricity, or procainamide followed by electricity if the drug fails. And then finally, in all patients with new AF, carefully consider whether the patient should be started on AC based on their risk for subsequent stroke or thromboembolic event. Well, that's all for the Core EM podcast this week. Come on over and check out the site at coreem.net. We've got a ton of great core content emergency medicine. We'll have a core post up on Wednesday and a journal update up on Thursday. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page, follow us on Google Plus, and on Twitter where our handle is at core underscore EM. Thanks, and see you all next week.